Hey, welcome to another episode of the Mentally Chill Podcast, a podcast where we talk Frank, not about a guy named Frank, but Frank Lee about mental health and depression. So get off that PC horse because the only way to normalize mental health and depression is to talk like it's an everyday thing because guess what? Unfortunately, it is. It's an everyday thing and every minute thing and every second thing. So let's talk about it like it is because it is. So this month, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. But based on the way things have been going in our culture, it seems like every month is Suicide Awareness Month. What happens, though, when someone commits suicide in the public eye is that the conversation happens and then we remember that our favorite TV show is on in 30 minutes and then our favorite TV show ends and we're back on Twitter bitching at each other over the Kardashians. But then it happens all over again and we remember and then we forget and we remember and we forget, which is fine. It's the human condition. But this month is a special month to focus on it, to talk more about it, to share resources and stories and this podcast if you want isn't that gross to take this opportunity to promote my own podcast it is it's disgusting but the reality is this podcast actually does help a lot of people it's a really good resource and one of the good things to come out of having technology because a lot of bad things come out of technology so this is a way for people to have a little bit of a support group and to have a sense of community and to know that they're not alone and when you guys turn to my show, when you're feeling down, that's when I turn to your comments and your messages to make me feel better as well. So it's a two-way street. So thank you so much for sending me those messages. And since I'm on the topic, I'm going to share the suicide prevention lifeline because it's my responsibility. But I know that it's not as simple as calling a freaking 1-800 number. You call 1-800 numbers for contacts and a blender you saw on an infomercial. The fact that your life comes down to dialing a 1-800 number is, I don't know, I'm just a little too cynical to think that someone when they're in the depths of despair is going to dial that 1-800 number. But I am hoping to God that they do. And I'm hoping that they reach out to me and they reach out to a friend and a family member because people do care. Surprisingly enough, people are better than we think they are. Talk to them, tell them, reach out, get help. And then if you need to, absolutely call the 1-800 number, but don't get to that point. Don't get to the point where your life depends on the same thing that contacts depend on to be sold. Okay. Make sure you talk to people and have a conversation. People do want to hear from you. So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which I said before, I'm glad it's not hotline because it's like, hey, hotline, we're selling reasons to live. The lifeline. The number is 1-800-273-8255. But talk to people, create the conversation, share this podcast, share other podcasts like mine, and try to make people feel like they're not alone in this world. Even though we might be, let's just try to create the illusion that we're not. So on that happy note, I just wanted to tell you guys that I started posting listener mini pods on the Patreon page. I know I mentioned this a while ago, and this is proof of my procrastination and my depression because... It's hard to do anything ever, but I finally posted the first listener mini pod, which I'll call listener minis, and it's from Sarah, and Sarah has struggled with an eating disorder, depression, and anxiety, and she talks about finding patterns in her behavior and noticing those patterns helped her change her behavior 
And also so brave of her to tape that and to send it to me. So if anyone else wants to, please feel free in order for me to have quote unquote listener minis. I need listeners to send me the minis and I'm not talking about dick pics. So MP3 format or MP4, you can do right from the voice note on your phone, record it, tell me your thoughts, how you're feeling, if you have a certain experience with something and send it to me at contact at mentallychillpodcast.com. Next week, I'll be posting listener Beza's mini episode and she talks about her bipolar disorder. So again, if you want to participate in that, please feel free. It's such a good way to communicate to not feel alone. And if you don't want to tape one, but just want to listen, you can do so at patreon.com slash mentally chill, dip your toe in the water, see if it tastes good. Yes, we drink the water we dip our toes into. If you like the way toe water tastes, you can keep coming back and you can keep enjoying the stuff on Patreon. And I want to let you know one more thing. This is tons of information. I say one more thing. It's going to be at least three more things. But I'm going to be giving away a free month of Patreon each month based on my favorite review on iTunes posted that month. So if you rate and review on iTunes and I really, really like it and it makes me able to get out of bed in the morning and gives me a reason to breathe, I will pick you and you can hang out on Patreon and uh, drink all of the toe water you want for a month. So remember, rate and review. It helps me so, so much. And thank you again to everyone who's been rating. Uh, you guys have been really awesome about that for the past few weeks. I mean, for the past year, but especially recently. So thank you so much for doing that. And today's show, I have David Wild on. David has a very interesting, diverse career. I know him from the Adam Carolla show. We've been on the show a few times together and he is a writer for Rolling Stone magazine and he used to write for Esquire and he covers lots of music and lots of showbiz things. And he talks about what it was like growing up with a mother with manic depression, especially back when he was a child and how there wasn't any real clear answer at the time. And he talks about why he's mentally healthy today and why sleeping actually makes him depressed and why he chooses to walk instead of sleep, which I will never, ever, ever understand. I mentioned last episode that I think going forward, I'm going to have a weekly show disclaimer for each show. So here's this week's show disclaimer. There's two. The first one is there is a spoiler about the documentary Three Identical Strangers. So if you have not seen the movie and you don't want to know what happens, skip that part. And the other show disclaimer is we talk about the Me Too movement. I don't usually talk about topical, touchy subjects on this podcast. They're already discussed enough as it is. I don't really need to contribute to the conversation because I think there's enough drama within mental health. And I like to stay away from things that can divide people, aka make people dislike me for my opinions. So I blame David for bringing this up. And you know how there's me too. I think there should also be a me too, me too, which is me too. I had to talk about the me too because I feel traumatized having to have talked about it in a public forum. So, uh, e. anyway, all right, that's enough for me. I have had some caffeine today. I think that's very obvious. And I hope you guys have also had caffeine to help perk up your brains. So on that note, I hope your brain is perked and I hope you enjoy this week's show. When we were DMing, yes, I said, "What would you maybe want to talk about?" And you said you had a fa- a parent that was a manic well, depressive. The, 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 I want to uncharacterize it as smoothly. it wasn't like 
what do you want to talk <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, yes. I said, yes, I'd do your podcast. No, you were begging to talk about <laughs> no, it. No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I want, if my aunt is hearing this or something, uh, no, I originally, I said, w- would you do my podcast? Because I'm <laughs> going out of town moving. And I'm like, yes, I would be happy to do your podcast. And then I didn't realize it was about mental illness. And so then I needed to come up with some <laughs> uh, link to mental illness, which was not hard, uh, to be to be honest. Um yeah, m- my mom uh, was manic depressive, and uh, so yes, I, I will now. Uh, she passed away uh, just over a year ago, so now I can oh, sell her no. down the river slightly more than I normally would have. Right. Well, uh, I'm sorry to bring these things up. And do you remember? I don't. You, I'm assuming, have seen Jerry Maguire. Oh yeah, no. In fact, uh, yes, uh, Cameron is a good friend of mine. Cameron Crow. Oh, is that who directed it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, but there's the scene where what's his name goes on the sports talk show and they always make him cry. Like, oh, right, and no right. matter what athlete you are, you'll go on and start crying. Right, right, right. And I feel like that's what I do a little bit with the show is I just I I get someone on there. You're like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. And all of a sudden I just smack them with whatever traumatic event they used to have to deal with. And I feel bad, but I have no choice because that's the podcast. Okay, no, no, it's it's <laughs> so I'm it's sorry. Fine. No, the funny thing is, I am. Um, I think it, my our our kids, our sons, are back from college. We, we became empty nesters this year, but they're back for the summer working jobs here. And I think they would confirm if they were one of them just went to work. Uh, but I think he would confirm that I was. Uh, I'm weirdly non-introspective about my childhood and. I'm sure it's some psychological defense, but I just don't. And what's weird is my brother and sister, they don't have the same thing. Like uh, whatever impact having a mom who was dealing with that has had on me, uh, it's different than my brother and sister. So it's like everyone has their individual response to this sort of stuff. But in my case, it was sort of not to think about it or, and I'm sure like, you know, one of my mom was manic depressive back back in old school manic depression which was and and i'm I'm no i'm no expert on it so you'll probably can correct me well i'm I'm no expert either okay but uh she was diagnosed around the time that they were just really coming to grips with it and so she was not diagnosed for my childhood was i think my i think she was just having a really rough time and my dad was trying to find out what was going on and uh, there's a famous clinic called the Mayo Clinic. Uh, I don't I remember my dad taking my mom there, trying to figure out what was going on. And there's, you know, I think it was like the greatest doctors in the world at the Mayo Clinic, and they didn't figure it out. And it was a couple years later, and it was just at that moment in history when they were really coming to terms with manic depression and how to treat it, I think. Uh, There's probably more than I've talked about it or thought about it, really, other than I do remember... Like a couple, like that was high school, middle school. And then she sort of had a really rough time and was uh, hospitalized right around the time I was about to go to college. Uh, And then I was off at college. And then she was finally correctly diagnosed. My parents split up and she got medication that sort of helped her through the rest of her life, you know. And, And it was, you know, in many ways like a miracle in it wasn't a miracle cure, but it was, you know, it, it sort of, it, it definitely changed her ability to live and exist. And it was remarkable. But from that point on being selfish by nature, 
I think my kids and wife might also confirm that. <laughs> I only thought about it in terms of, I think on some level thinking, am I going to, am I manic depressive, you know, and worrying about that. And then going through starting out, uh, I remember I was a young, I went out of school. I worked at Esquire. I think I moved over to Rolling Stone and then went through a bad breakup. And I remember the only time I ever really went to a, a therapist, I went like I was deeply depressed after this breakup. And I went, my dad called my dad who said, I'm going to uh, get you an appointment with the best psychiatrist in New York. And I actually was thinking about it this morning, like trying to remember his name. And I, I, I'll try to look it up, but I, he was as a guy I met maybe four hours in my life and he changed my life and he may have done it wow. by lying to me, <laughs> but I, it was one of these things where I think I just was talking through probably normal breakup anxiety or sadness or whatever. And also my career had sort of exploded right away. So it was like the weird pressures of that. And I talked through stuff and then I think it all came down to like the third or fourth session. I said, he goes, do you have any questions for me? I go, yeah, I guess my big question is, am I manic depressive? And he goes, nope. And I went, what? He goes, absolutely not. And I'm like, I said, don't you have to do something to tell me that? He goes, uh, well, I've talked to you and you're not. And I would know. And I go, how would you know? He goes, I'm the best psychiatrist in New York. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I remember... Can I have his number? If he's <laughs> exactly, still alive. Exactly. I got to look it up. Uh, but he was like that avuncular, you know older Jewish therapist, that sort of Judd Hirsch and ordinary people guy. But I think it sort of changed my life. I'd never went to therapy again, for better or worse. You know, and I, uh, I've, you know, two great kids, I've been married for decades. So I guess uh, maybe he was right. <laughs> that was just an amazing thing to me. It's like throughout my life, I've always appreciated when you can get someone who cuts through all the bullshit and gives you answers. And like, I remember... Uh, when my kids were going to school down the block from here, it's this amazing public school, one of the best public schools, uh, you know, elementary in the world. And like we walked into a class and uh, the teacher, like the first day goes, uh, and we have two little boys. We had two little boys then, but she goes, and if you have little girls, don't dress them sexy because it's fucked up and it's a terrible thing to do. And I remember going like, holy crap, I didn't think you could say anything <laughs> like that, which was so true and which probably... But like, that's the kind of thing that probably allows people to have like better lives than it's not the sort of like fear of saying anything direct. Oh, yeah. If there was more honesty in this world. Yes. I mean, at least I think there'd be a lot better dressed people. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> you yeah. should not I wear have, that. Yeah, I have no right to comment on. on <laughs> well, it's good to have the people like that in the world because you could have gone the rest of your life thinking maybe that you had something that you didn't because maybe a psychiatrist wanted you to keep coming back for money. You know, there are people out there, I think, yeah, that are corrupt enough to do that. Oh, yeah. This was the opposite. This is the... He was like, get out of here. Successful. Here's your money back. Exactly. I'll deal with someone crazier than you. But I did. I thought, I do think about him. I uh, When I'm in New York working, I like to walk around Central Park, and his place was like in the 80s, and I'll walk past it, and I always like think like how much that moment sort of probably changed my life so you don't think with your mother that it was all genetic because you haven't seen the manic depressiveness flow anywhere else within the family um i have not i don't know i just saw this movie um three identical strangers do you I know what this movie it, yes okay we just saw it this weekend and like for anyone who hasn't seen it they they deal in an interesting way with nature and nurture and like what the roles are of things and like being a parent it's like Oh my God, I, I was shocked how much was nature. Just like, 
you know, these, you see these traits, your own traits coming back to you in these amazing ways. Uh, but then you see, uh, at least the way I took the movie, you realize, well, but nurture has a huge part. Like it's like in the context of that movie, it's like the person who's nurtured, the two who are nurtured decently and live. Living. <laughs> yeah. right. And the one who doesn't get that or it's deprived the love in some essential way, doesn't make it. And, uh, I don't know how that all would figure. I have no. In other words, I think my own sense is there are streaks in all of us and emotional streaks. And obviously there's chemistry that I'm as a English major, not going to understand. Everyone else in my family is much smarter than me in that way. But uh, no, thank God I haven't seen that. I do think as you get older uh, or as I've gotten older, I have more and more experience with people I know coping with depression at different parts of their lives. Just sort of like, and some of it seems situational, you know, just like post-divorce or post something in their career. And I don't, I mean, that's, I don't know if, is that depression in a clinical term? I don't, I don't know what is depression in a clinical, clinical term. My own core belief, just in my own, based on my own experience, is that I think of life coming down to there is the total it's perspective like you can choose to be miserable at any time it's very easy to it's like the easiest uh, yeah, yeah. oh my god it's like the easy bake oven of emotions well that's like when my mom was dying uh I happened to be back east got off the plane couldn't sleep checked my bag in at a hotel and went walking in Central Park at that point I got a text saying mom just went to the hospital so I got went right from Central Park went across the bridge to New Jersey, met my brother, and then began like a few months of her decline. And, but I remember it really vividly because like at the hospital, I, we would take turns sort of covering with her. I'm an early morning person. So I was like, I'll take, I'll get there, I'll get there at six in the morning and I'll stay till one or something and then you come. But I would turn on the news because that was like, the the early Trump days where there was so much happening, which is still happening, little did we know. But my mom at a certain point said, can you turn on the TV? I find it depressing. And I'm like... Turn on the TV? Turn off the TV. Okay. You know, because I, wa- I was trying to watch CNN when she was sleeping, but she just didn't want to soak up the energies right. of looking at right, right. that I stuff. I only have this much time left on my watch. I really don't want to waste it with oh, that, news. Well, and the thing is, I was like, okay, I know this is depressing, but what about like the hospital and the impending <laughs> doom? But that shows you That's, how depressing the news exactly. is. No, and I realized I have, over the last year, I'm much happier when the TV is not on. And my kids are wise that way. They'll say, turn off the news. Turn, you cannot, not because it's fake, just because it's fucking horrible. Well, I used to perpetually have the TV on because I like the background yeah. noise and not necessarily to hear everyone's opinions. But now... I just can't even. So when I turn the TV on to have background noise, I always default to TLC, which you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't get any dumber than TLC, but that's how badly I don't want to hear people talking on the news. So either it's TLC or murder shows, because I find murder shows to be way more relaxing. I'm like, oh, he stabbed her in the throat 47 times. That makes me feel better than any other option right now on TV. I just remember when my dad was dying in Florida, being in all these rehab centers and hospitals, and that's what's on all the time in old people's hospital rooms. The murder are shows? The murder shows, <laughs> which again, things I never wa- I've never watched any of that stuff. So I guess all of this is about 
so that I never have become a depressive individual. The thing I do tend to, like I'm working all the time, writing all the time with music, because music is the opposite. Music, for the most part, elevates my mood. Well, that was one thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which was music as therapy. Do you think that you intentionally seek it as therapy, or is it just on all the time, and so therefore you naturally feel more at peace? I, I think early on it was literally drowning out sounds of my parents arguing or my mom. I mean, I think I literally, I'm the kid who just, I spent my life in headphones trying to drown out less appealing sounds. And I still do that. Although I have to say music is a big part of my life, but I also, uh, I'm a podcast fanatic. So I tend to, I love to take long walks listening to discussions i do like like marin i don't know if you're a fan of what marin does with wtf i don't even listen you don't okay because it gives me anxiety anything that's comedy related i cannot listen because i feel like i should be there i should be more involved i'm not doing enough the only comedy i watch on tv is seinfeld i i stay away from all forms of comedy it's really crazy but uh when i'm not gonna i don't want to probe you too much more on the manic depressive stuff but did your siblings well here's an example and they're fine you know uh great uh they my mom before she was diagnosed self-medicated by drinking and that was like there was a year or two where she was just drunk you know didn't get out of bed trying to medicate manage her her, her what was not diagnosed and i remember making a note note to self never have a drink and my brother and sister older brother younger sister they both drink normally no problem not alcoholics i never drank again i mean, i never drank i've i've had you know a, i'll have a glass of champagne but i've never been drunk really wow and no interest in it i hate i don't like the taste of it it's just sort of a thing and i do, is that a psychological impact maybe uh or maybe i just i the way i interpret it i just like when the first time i tasted beer i was like this is horrible it, i mean i i don't like beer. yeah it's really like when you're a kid and you taste coffee and you taste beer like oh adults are weird well, see, and that, onions you guys are eating onions yeah i'm still there beer. i don't like either one no, right. no interest well i i used to say to my brother that because he doesn't like onions uh so i say he he's 42 and I tell him he still hasn't hit adulthood yet because he doesn't like onions. So he'll forever be Peter Pan. Well, that may be that like a lot of men of my generation, they never did become men. They were able to stay like I still like like last night I was at a Dodger game. I like baseball. I like music. I like uh, girls and I like the same. I don't like coffee. I don't like, I never smoked a cigarette because my mom promised me $20,000 when I turned 21 if I never had a cigarette. She did not make good on it. <laughs> uh, I never tried, I never sued her. My, my parents didn't make a promise and I never smoked. Jeez, it was just all internal. That's weird. But yeah, it's like I realized I am still like, yeah, everything I liked when I was, I, and I don't, I don't know if there's any problem with that. I don't no, think so. There's but not. I like the same stuff I liked. That's I like, awesome. I like comedy. Yeah, I think that's so healthy if you, live as an adult like you did a child if you can keep all those same things but quick question did you have a sense of disappointment that might not be the right word but did you have a sense of being bummed out when the doctor told you there was nothing wrong with you because you would want to be able to use that as an excuse or a crutch for maybe why 
you might not be feeling good from moment to moment? No, no. I mean, no, I like a good answer. I I don't know. Maybe it's my perspective on mental health that life is so much perspective that like, I feel like whatever traumas I had early on in my life left me with the desire not to have trauma, which is as opposed to, I guess you could fall in love with trauma and want to repeat trauma. Uh, Like, I don't like to argue. I really don't have any interest in arguing. And it's like, I got into a argument yelling with Harvey Weinstein when I worked with him. Oh, shit. Like, and I go, that's why, that's what I should have known. Okay, he's a monster. Like, because I... you're fighting with him, it means... Yeah, well, it's because I don't fight. I avoid fighting, but I... He literally told me uh, to do something that I refused to do. It was like working in the White House, and he wanted me to uh, try to force President Clinton to plug his movie five times in the context of a presidential, you know, <laughs> comment. And I'm like, Mr. Weinstein, with all due respect, the leader of the free world shouldn't be doing infomercials for your movie. And all of a sudden, Bill Clinton has a Me Too story. <laughs> well. I actually, what's weird is this moment in history, I feel like I'm the relatively well-behaved individual who has worked with virtually every one of these Me Too characters. And it is so clear to me, and it was so clear to me even then, like Harvey Weinstein is a monster. But we get into, and you're, you know, as a comedian, it's like you get into this other stuff, like where like we've raised young, our sons who are very, they're great young guys, but like, one of them in particular is so, to me, judgmental on, like, these people, you know, every time one of these sort of situations comes up, like, they shouldn't be allowed to work anymore. And I'm like, I don't know. It's like, you happen to have a dad who doesn't have to go to bed scared that something's going to come out, which is good. But on the other hand, like, like Louis C.K., that situation, which I, as a female comedian, you might have very strong feelings. I had the weird experience of working with him early on. And I think it was like one of my first shows. I I was like a writer that he was a writer on. And I don't think he had any interest in like knowing me. So it's not like I'm a friend at all. And then I ran into him at the Emmys when we were both nominated and he was super nice to me. So then I liked him a lot more because he, you know, in front of my wife acted like we were good friends (laughs) on the red carpet. And I think the truth is he maybe had just seen me on like the 60s, 70s or 80s and I felt he liked that guy or something. But like, do you think when I hear the stories like, okay, like, you know, what he did, I don't have this, I guess I am not that judgmental that I think Louis C.K. should never work again. I'm not that judgmental either. And as a woman, I get shamed for that. Right. Because I, I, I think I'm a very forgiving person. Not that they deserve my forgiveness that, you know, who am I? But I think that people aren't perfect. There are, uh, of course, extreme cases like someone being a monster like Harvey Weinstein. But I know that people are flawed and they can be gross and disgusting. And I do think people are very, very touchy with things. So, for example, someone the other day, a guy who I'm friends with, he wrote in a text to me, instead of saying spank you like as thank you as a joke, he wrote spanks. And then he wrote not spank you because of the me too. And it's that kind of stuff that I... I feel bad that that's now people have to not be able to be silly. And, and I think everyone just takes everything so goddamn seriously, but I've never been in that position, which by the way, I'm a little insulted. (laughs) I've never been assaulted or, and I, I know my career isn't going great when I have no me too stories, (laughs) 
but I think everyone's just way too on edge and it puts other people on edge and it creates this weird vibe between everybody. And I, but you know, like if I had been in a situation like that, I would, uh, maybe feel differently, but I also see hypocrisy in everything. So when I see pictures of Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelina Jolie hugging Harvey Weinstein with massive smiles on their faces on the red carpet, then I go, well, you know, why were you, why were you so okay with it then? But now, I mean, you know, I just, the games people play for the, for their own pursuit of their career to me shines very loudly I, you know, as well. I, take outright pleasure in the fall of someone who is assaulting people and you know like harvey weinstein that that one that 100 percent. i do worry about a world in which everyone has to be as big a wimp as i am like i i know mm -hmm. I, like men of a generation any generation anyone older than me i know when you ask stories, you know that they chased, I mean, I think it's like what Mad Men exposed as a TV show is the rules were different. Like there was pursuit and people chasing people around and it's all horrible now, but I do feel like we're in this weird moment where someone has to actually establish what the rules are <laughs> and I pick a date, mm -hmm. you know, yes. because it's On this like, date in 2018 going forward, right. this is the rule. And then anything other than that, you have to apologize for and not have a career anymore over. Right. But people will argue, well, just don't be a creep and you won't get in trouble. But people interpret being a creep differently. But when I when all of this started, I, I said to my mom something like, I don't like that other side of it where people aren't being truthful about their part in it. And my mom was surprisingly defensive because when she was 18 years old, she didn't go to college. She got a job at this company called Univac, which I don't know if that's familiar to you at all, but it was that typical situation where men would make comments to my mom and they would tell her to come sit on my lap and all this awful stuff. Right. And she, to this day, is angry and disgusted over it and the way she was treated and demeaned. And so her response is more passionate than mine because she had been through that stuff and essentially quit because of the, of the way she was being treated. Like one time one of the men she worked for said, I don't like that skirt. Next time, don't wear that skirt. That kind of stuff. And it's just like, fuck you. Right. So I get, the, I get the change. You know, that change needs to happen. But again, we need to have like a set rule. I'm like, you don't do this. Don't do that. And so we can all be on one page. Yeah, I, I, I feel like the political culture, like I worked around the Clinton White House a little bit, a few events. And like, I remember times when I was like, and I think, you know, through the eye of history, like, yeah, you know what? The Monica Lewinsky thing was Lewinsky thing was really screwed up. And like, I just worry about us as a culture that way. I mean, listen, I also worry, I worry about Harvey Weinstein monsters being on the prey, but we got to, I think as a culture, we got to find the balance. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be a really hard balance to find. It's like you're on a teeter totter and people are going on this end and pulling it right. down and then people are going on this end you, then you got a 100 pound person on this side and an 800 person pound on this on that side and so it's just constantly just kind of going up down up down and everyone's no one's working together to make it balance yeah and uh speaking of that though that was when you were a kid and you wanted to do the teeter-totter i mean i'm so, I, I, imagine being the, the bigger kid and then you can't <laughs> balance out i mean that's an unfair toy speaking of does that toy exist balance. anymore i don't 
Not I exactly. don't know, but I had one in my backyard as a kid, which was such a weird thing to have, but it was there when we moved in. But uh, yeah, it's a super hard balance to find. I, I think what we're lacking right now is personal shame. I think shame is so important, but I don't like shaming other people. I like personal inner shame that keeps you balanced and keeps you from doing things that are bad. So shame like Louis C.K. going, eh, I probably shouldn't whip out my wiener right now because of the shame I'll feel. And he actually, I think, does a lot of comedy on shame. So right. you'd think he'd feel that shame. So I think he's lacking the shame. Harvey Weinstein's lacking the shame of like, eh, this is probably not very nice. I shouldn't do this. I should feel shame over this. But then what happens is, since there's no inward shame, there's this crazy amount of outward shame that comes and it's just shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. And it's like the scene in Game of Thrones where they all yell, shame, shame, shame. And we're living in that reality right now. And some people deserve the shame. Some people get a little too much. Um, but I think it's the inner shame that we need. It, I think it creates comedy. It creates character. And obviously, it, it creates emotional instability sometimes in people. But I think that's what gives people comedy. Like a, like a good comedian, I think, has a lot of shame inside and... And because of that, we get a lot of funny lines and art and whatever out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think of Judaism and comedy and why are there so many Jewish comedians? And it's a shame. Well, shame, guilt. <laughs> I don't know. It's guilt, guilt shame. and shame. They seem like yeah, they're I'm, like a combo plot. I'm yes, I'm using them as one in the same. Yeah, but then you have these the Harvey Weinstein's, President Trump politically. It's like these characters who seem to have none of it. So uh, I don't relate to that in one bit. Uh, what, the shame stuff? The, the lack of the, guilt, right, the lack of shame. Same, yeah. same. I just think it keeps people uh, more relatable. Like we wouldn't have a Donald Trump right now and we wouldn't have a Harvey Weinstein right now if shame played a heavy part in their lives. So I am all for shame, 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 Whoa. but not shaming other people, like going online and everyone shaming someone like for how dare they, they said this and how, who do they think they are? Everyone now gang up and bandwagon and come together and shame them to death with stones. I think it's, it's not very advanced as a society of us. No. And, uh, it, maybe it's all filling the void left by organized religion having us. Like, I think what's funny is that in, in New York and LA in these media centers, it's not like there's not churches and temples, but most people really worship success <laughs> and, yeah. you know, fame. I think we're turning into a culture that fundamentally those are what's worshiped. So it's like those other values that, and again, I don't want to idealize the past because I think, you know, we all know too many stories of religion not being <laughs> a positive force in the world. But yeah, I think, I think the Jewish religion and the Catholic Church were pretty good at instilling guilt uh, in people, and maybe that's what's lacking is that there's no sense of shame that way. Well, I always say if I have kids, I'm I'm not religious. I grew up Catholic, and I'm not I'm not like agnostic or an atheist or anything. But I would definitely send my kid to a Catholic school because it creates shame and guilt and i want that my i want my child to have a sense of humility in those experiences because they will come out on the other side i think a more well-rounded person whereas you know whereas 
like I went to a public school for most of my life, except one year I went to a private school and all the kids that I knew, not all the kids, but a lot of the kids in the private school I thought were so funny. They had a, they had to, they had to learn how to cope with the, the scary nun and they couldn't dress the way they wanted to. So they had to express it in other ways. I, I think it made them more creative in a sense. Whereas all the kids I went to school with in public school were like boring as fuck, all the same, you know, not creative. They didn't play funny pranks on each other. They were just boring. And so I really am a fan of that kind of old school. But, you know, I know there's this side of it that creates all that bad stuff, like, you know, pedophilia and priests and that kind of thing. I don't want that to be a part of their life. But I honestly prefer that risk over the risk of just being a boring, flatlined human being. Yes. Yeah, well, having kids in L.A., you know, before they could uh, go to the horrible public high school, they went to a very fancy private school with every famous person's well, right. children. See, that's the difference because I'm from the middle of nowhere. Right. So for us, a private school doesn't mean like fancy rich kids. I mean, it costs money, but it, it was more of the parents that found religion actually important, not the ones that had a lot of money. But it is, it's such a different world. So uh, I forgot to tell you this, but we do, or we, um, I do uh, segments on the show where uh, we do little silly kind of gamey things. And so we're going to okay. do those now. All right, but before you say, when you said we, you did it with this woman, Stevie Ryan. Ryan, yeah. Now, what's weird is I have a memory of her because I wrote shows for VH1 back in the day. And there was a period she had, she is a woman who had Stevie TV, right? Mm, yeah. And then what I don't know is, was there a long period between when that, like, did she think that was going to launch her into being a superstar and then it didn't? I don't know exactly because I didn't know her well at that time. So I think her show was around 2012, 2013-ish. So there had been a long gap in time um, or four years or so, I think roughly that, you know, until she took her own life. But I think that she necessarily didn't think that that was going to launch her into being a star. And this is me kind of guessing. I think she lost her luster for pursuing it and didn't have the mental strength to keep going because she had a lot of opportunities that she did not follow up on. She didn't go to auditions. She screwed things up with her managers and her agents. And and so I think it was her mental state that didn't allow her to launch any higher because she stayed in bed and smoked pot all day. So I think it was her own descent. And I mean, maybe she did have higher expectations for it. But at one point she said that when she had her TV show, that was the saddest she had ever been, was when she was doing the best. Yeah, no. And that's one thing about my life. Like I work with a lot of people at that moment of explosion. And you do begin to realize like as much as you want to have that, it's like that is no recipe for happy, happy at all. And then that's the crash because then yeah. you think, well, now what? That right. didn't give me happiness. What on earth will? And then that's when you have to realize that the simplicities of life are what should give you happiness or what eventually will give you happiness or something maybe. Right, or something like it. Yeah. So it's hard, but I do accidentally say we on the show a lot. And it's been a year since she's passed away and I can't seem to stop saying we it still doesn't feel like it's just my show yeah no well i just i i didn't i think i might have met her once but i just remember there was like a moment where vh1 was like 
she's our Sarah Silverman or she's our right. They were investing in her. And then I don't even know how long it was on two seasons. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I, that's the only reason I ask because I know that she, you know, meant a lot to you. I don't mean to. No, I, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't ever really know if I should inform people doing the show because yeah. I didn't know if you knew. Yeah. So some um, people I just don't tell them and I think they come do the show and have no idea and then other people are already aware. Or, you know, I'll say, well, I used to do the show with someone like either before I start, um, if I feel comfortable enough to, to bring it up with them. So what are the weird elements of the game I have to so, do? So <laughs> the first one we're going to do is called Who's Sadder? And Stevie and I used to do this. So okay. we would compare and contrast, usually celebrities. Yes. And compete for who we think is sadder. But right now I'm not going to do celebrities. I'm going to do uh a type of person. So since you work so closely with music, yes. who do you think is sadder? One hit wonders or musicians that are no hit wonders and have never had success at all? Musicians who have never had success. To be, I mean, really? I know you people want to say one hit wonders. I know a lot of one hit wonders. Uh, I think, you know, maybe I am a one hit wonder in terms of like, you know, it's like in certain areas, like I've had, like a couple best-selling books or, you know, a couple losing Emmy nominations and stuff like that. And I go like, no, I think, uh, I think it's better to, from my point of view, I think it's happier to have experienced it and realized what it is and what it isn't than to have never to put so much value on it and never to have gotten there. I also think it's better and happier inducing to actually make the effort like i'm hitting the point in my life where it's like like you have friends who never quite get going you know like for whatever reasons they never and i think that's sadder especially as you get older that's much sadder than having not hit you know some imaginary goal i think it's sadder to have not taken a shot when i think about musicians who were big at one time and then aren't now i don't know why this guy comes to my mind I don't know his music at all yeah. I only remember him because I think he was doing remember the 80s and that whatever what is that what it was called I love the 80s I love the 80s yeah. Leif Garrett well that's a sad one and that okay he was a that's the sad thing is when you are a superstar for about an hour and a half right uh yeah and, and then he, you fall off that cliff you fall off that cliff but and wear really bad bandanas and also drugs and yeah i mean the bandanas were worse than the drugs exactly. both will kill <laughs> yeah. eventually uh yeah no i've been in a room with leif garrett worked on uh behind the music and i was sort of i remember like the hundredth anniversary party of behind the music like sitting in a room with my then fiance or something and seeing leif garrett and it's like someone said you want to meet leif garrett and we're like no nothing we'll pass on Meeting Leif Garrett, because, you know, if my wife could have met Leif Garrett during I Was Born for Dancing or whatever, you know. Then it would have been cool. Then it would have been cool, but it wasn't that cool right now. And I mean, I remember, God forgive me for, you know, saying the name, but like my wife, like I always like when you meet your childhood heroes, there's always weird stuff that goes on. Like don't, for me, it's don't like, meet your well, well, Bob Dylan was my hero and I got to meet him and work with him on something and it was great. It was better than I imagined, but... I had an old friend, a female friend, who always loved Chris Isaac. And then, weirdly, Chris Isaac and I have become very close friends over the, the years. He's one of the greatest guys I know. But like when she met him, I remember I took her backstage, and he said something very sarcastic. And that wasn't part of her idea 
of Chris Isaac. And it all comes crumbling down. And it all, like, she was like, went to some meltdown. It's like, and it's like, I wish I should actually find her, track her down, and go, no, he's friggin' the best guy I know. He's fantastic. But is he considered a one hit wonder? Well, he's the no. no. That's well. That's isn't that him? Yeah, that's okay. Wicked Game. One of the it's a huge hit. He's had, but you he's know, done tons of music. But yes. that's just the one someone like me would know. Yes. I don't know music that well. Yes, but no, okay. so he's, he's still a guy. A uh, who like I just interviewed him for AARP magazine called me and said, "Can you write a piece for us?" I'm like, "Okay," because he goes, "We don't have 50 million people because we send it to everybody old," and they said, "We <laughs> want to do something." They might be. We might be down to about 25 million after you finish writing it. Right, they died old. during yeah. the reading of the article. It wasn't a long article. Yeah. In any case, no. Chris, Chris is great, and Chris is like consistently can play like a like amphitheaters like his whole life, and really, wow, and he looks really? and he's still great looking. It's crazy. Wow. So we think the people who haven't had the success are the sadder ones, except the My the Leif Garrett's maybe who get into drugs and so. Okay. So our next game is called Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay. But grey as in sad. And so you seem like a really happy guy. So I think you might be the highest on the scale here. So I'm going to show you a picture of this grey scale and just take the number on one side and add it to the other and tell me your mood right now for happiness. So zero is the happiest. A hundred essentially is the saddest. So where are you right now today in this moment? You can't touch it. It's just a picture. Oh, <laughs> I am three ten. Oh wow! Really? Is that happy? Well, that's happy. But I thought I thought you might be like fifteen. No, no. I'm, I mean, I'm. I mean, I have a certain level of anxiety because of work stuff right, that I okay. have. Like, uh, I have. So no, I'm. I'm not. I am not. Um, I don't know if. You have emotions. Yeah, You're I do. I, I'm very deep. <laughs> I want, despite all appearances, I'm very deep. <laughs> okay, cool. But I also, I do find that in a professional situation, like, and I have to check myself on this occasionally, like, you can't come, like, I work with a lot of comedy talent, but like, I also do a lot of non-comedy writing for people, and the truth is, you just can't come in with no one needs negative energy if you're trying to actually make something happen. It's like you can't start at this is fucking sucks. Oh, that's where I start every morning. Right. And see, <laughs> that's why I am where I am, which is not far. And I often have to be like, I am not an organized individual, but I am hardworking. I have a good work ethic. So that's often what it comes down to. Like, yeah. From, where did you get your work ethic? Like, do they sell it at a store? <laughs> exactly. Well, I think my dad, and I think again, it goes back to having a dad who was a workaholic and not didn't sleep. My dad was like a three hour a night person, which I've been for most of my life, like a three four hour. Oh my god! If tops. I get, if I get like six hours, I say I cancel whatever I have going on. I can't. I need at least nine hours of sleep. Mentally, I wake up and I go, no, no, no! I was just awake a couple hours ago. I can't do this all over again this quickly. Oh no! See, my problem is I used to be when I, my kids were little, I could work till three in the morning and then I get up at six. That's insane. But now I need to go to bed at one or if I wake up at four thirty or five, insane. And that's when I'm really great and productive. Like I have a giant sort of theater project I'm writing right now, and I find I can wake up. Everything is very clear to me. But now it used to be that way late at night too. I could put when you put kids to bed when they're little. I could do that. You come to life then. Nine thirty to three. Now I don't. Now it's really 
that morning is my most cogent time. Wow. Never relate. Never, ever relate to that. (laughs) Okay. So the last thing that we do or I do is called F dat shit. Yes. And so this is just a little something always about the mental health news or world or stuff going on. So a study just came out on July 30th that said people who have low blood levels of the molecule L carnitine, which by the way, I want people to start calling me now since my last name's Carney. And the irony of the fact that I'm so probably low in this and that it's basically my last name. Um, the people that are lowest in L carnitine have the most severe levels of depression. Uh, and there are supplements of L-carnitine. <laughs> and it's funny because my middle initial is L. So Kristen L-carnitine. Um, there are supplements of carnitine, but the doctor in this article I read suggested not running out to get it because you don't know what's in it. I don't like medicine. I don't want medicine. Uh, That's surprising, though, because it seemed to help your mom and got her to a place where she could live her life. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like a way of distancing myself from that is... Like I find, I like to walk outside. I like, I have the opposite instinct of staying in bed. It's like, I'd rather walk outside, listen to music, anything. Uh, you I'd know. rather walk in front of a car than do that. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so that, it's just a different approach. Well, I have to say, I, it's changed a little bit, but there were times when, like if I got six hours, I would be depressed. I, if I got... It does the too, opposite I did, for you. It was too yeah. much for me. Well, I think actually that is part of my problem is that I get too much sleep and then it keeps my brain feeling super low. Right. Because I do find that if I sleep, which sounds ridiculous, but if I sleep 13 hours, which I very well can, I wake up feeling so terrible. I think what you should do when you get back east is interview Bobby McFerrin because that would be a one-hit wonder commercially who mm-hmm. literally has a song which is yeah what's his about, song don't worry be happy oh that's him oh, that's and funny. <laughs> who was very worked with robin williams uh so all it might put together all of this i think the answer of life is with bobby mcfern yes well thank you for so much for doing this my pleasure and good luck back east oh my god i'll need it don't worry be happy <laughs> If it's that easy. A terrible song, but a brilliant philosophy. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. And if you guys want to check out David, you can find him on Twitter at... Wild About Music. Wild About Music. Right. I knew that. But if you guys want to support the show, please give me a review on iTunes and go to patreon.com slash mentally chill and support the show there. You can find me on Twitter at Kristen Carney. And uh, you guys know the deal. Remember, stay sad enough to listen, but not too sad. Bye, guys.